All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you remember when we did the intro to the book on Philippians, we mentioned that Philippi is the leading city of the region of Macedonia. And so when the church, or, or when Paul refers to the Macedonian churches, he is chiefly referring to Philippi, the, ch- the very church that we've been studying, uh, the, the very church that I think we, we have a reason to aspire to model. And so when, when he talks about Macedonia, keep in mind, it's, it's this very same church that we have been uh, enjoying our study in. Now, 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And it's an interesting turns of phrases that will, that will come in this section right here uh, because Paul, Paul is going to use the word grace in a variety of ways. And I, I think for all of us, we've talked about this plenty of times, we, we don't have the easiest relationship with grace. Sometimes we expect it to have more of a kick, but in fact, we, we wonder, is there something that I'm missing that I am not so grace-motivated? That sometimes, honestly, if, if somebody gets up here and says, you know, go reach out to 100, that is a little bit more motivating, that, and I may do it more out of kind of a collective charge than because I'm so washed by the grace of God. And, and sometimes we wonder, why is it that it isn't just simply the grace of God that does that? And the, the thing that I found super helpful, and again, we mentioned it briefly during the intro to Philippians, is that in Philippi, as would be in all Roman cities, all first century cities that we would have letters to, and every place that we would have studied in our New Testament, there was this idea that not money, but grace made the world go round. And the very thing that tied together the social fabric that allowed a people to be fellow citizens together of a community was not their ethnicity or anything else. It was this interlacing of grace. Here's what I mean by that. If if you were to have an opportunity to become a, let's say, a, a bronze worker in the Agora there in Philippi, it didn't happen because you had the best grades in bronze making school because you established yourself through some sort of merit-based program. It always happened one particular way. It was a system of patronage or benevolence. It's interchangeable terms. But uh, it basically is some kind of old white guy, basically, uh, who, who hooks you up with grace. Now, it would be a Mediterranean-looking white guy in this case here. All right? but, 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 but it is this, this kind of older, established person who kind of you know, looks at you, uh, Lydia Chase, and says, you know what? I think one day you're going to make a great astrophysicist. And so I happen to have an astrophysicist lab. And so I, as, as I kind of appreciate your zeal for this, I give you this amazing internship in an astrophysicist lab. I suddenly, if I had an astrophysicist lab, I suddenly have changed the trajectory of her family forever. No, no longer are, are they just kind of having a hard scrabble life, trying to put uh, pieces together here or there, uh, having to live on Harbor Lane. You know, suddenly now they're moving on up to the east side, right? Uh, to the north end. Uh, but, 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 but it's because she got this leg up in, in the process. Now, this leg up was called caudis or grace. This is act of unmerited favor that, that is given by a patron 
to a recipient from a benefactor, a do-gooder, that's what benefactor means, from a benefactor to a beneficiary, this act was called in every Roman city, grace or caudis. Now, uh, the, the most famous uh, descriptions of this interaction were, were done by two fairly famous uh, Romans, Seneca and Cicero. And they both write about it in this way, that you can think of the power of grace by thinking of the statue, which was a statue of the three graces. And there are three very kind of lovely, uh, elegant, graceful women dancing in a circle hand in hand. But they said, but what, the thing that makes our society go around is that one grace gives to the next. And the next person, when they receive grace, their gratitude is also called grace. So in this case, uh, Lydia's gratitude would then be considered caudis as well. But then it doesn't end there. In an honor society, like all of the societies that we study in the first century, in an honor and shame society, the great honor that you would then do is to recognize, I have been given, I cannot wait to be able to honor the one who has given to me. I will honor them with a reciprocal, kind of a, a like level, proportional sacrifice or gift back to them as much as I can. And if I can't do that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to proclaim them from the top of the rooftop and make them famous for what it is that they have done. But it's usually a combination of both of those things. You know, Lydia then in this case would be eager at every moment to say, guess what? Guess what? Let me tell you about the benevolence. Let me tell you about the patronage. Let me tell you about the grace the gracefulness of that patron with the astrophysicist lab down the, down the road that has given me all of this. And then everybody, of course, would know that. And then all of society would then be seeing, wow, let's see what it is that she does then to cement this relationship of grace. And, and so she would. And so as that patron was made a bit more famous or maybe encouraged or blessed by, by her and her reciprocity, her, her grace giving back, that's the third grace in the dance. First grace, unmerited gift. Second grace, the attitude of gratitude that just washes over you. And then the third grace that brings it back again is you and the gift that goes back once again. Uh, or, or may even be you and the gift that goes forward as well. That, that is also what is expected. Is that as you've been given, so then you give to others. And so that, that cycle continues, continues, continues. But here's what it does. is As that happens, the, the um, loyalty between all the people in these transactions grows really deep. And as a result, society then has a fabric that is, is then interdependent in a very healthy and a, a very uh, positive and joyful celebratory way because of gift, 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 gift that, that, that has cemented everybody together. Kadis, 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 kadis. Kadis is the Greek word uh, for grace. So again, the three ideas of, of the grace going on there. Now we have here in this letter... Paul describing to the church in Philippi that God gave them grace, kind of the first issuing of grace. You all know about the grace that God has given to Philippi, to the Macedonian churches. And, and he goes, in the midst of very severe suffering uh, and trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Do you see the kind of the effect of grace, the washing over, the grace of gratitude? And then immediately what happens? They then, having been given so much by Christ, 
can't wait to give. And, and in this case, they mean literally, sacrificially, kind of reach into your pockets and give to the point that you help someone else to the degree that Jesus has helped them. And so they did. They, they gave to the churches in Jerusalem who are having a, a hard time in this case. Uh, and they gave to Paul as well. They, they gave to whatever the needs were that happened to be coming their way. They, they're very good about that. But that's the kind of the beautiful cycle that was then cementing relationships in the churches uh, along the way there. Of course, Jesus, the initial giver, and then as the brothers and sisters have opportunities to start to give to one another, it's all self-reinforcing. But the, the, the power of grace is that if you in this society have been given grace, the greatest shame is that you are completely ungrateful. And you do nothing with it other than serve yourself. If you break the cycle and break the fabric of society by not extending grace once you've received it, then that's ultimate shame. No one even would ever even think of such a thing in, in, in that sort of a society. This is the power that would have been the gripping power of grace. It's why later in, in the book of Jude, they say, do not turn the grace of God into a license for just doing whatever you want. That's not grace. You can't just kind of treat it as a credit card. Oh, look what I've gotten. I'm just going to do with it what I want. No. Once you've received it, if you really received grace, the only appropriate thing to do is to be so astounded for it to well up in rich generosity and an expression of, of, of kind of giving back. So let's, let's read to see how it plays out here. And then we'll see the ultimate statement of Jesus that we saw in the hymn uh, made in, in this passage of, of his grace. In the midst of severe trial, their overflowing joy, extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded. The ESV, they begged us earnestly for, again, for what? For the grace is the word that's used there. Kadis. Kadis is that next word. They begged us earnestly. They, they pleaded with us to, to be able to have the ability to have grace themselves and to give it back. So I'll, I'll switch over to the ESV for a minute because it's a little bit more helpful here. They begged us earnestly, verse 4, for the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we accepted, expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. See, see, see the word? It just kind of goes back and forth again and again. Uh, this act of grace. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember what we just studied this past week about this description of Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance a man, he humbled himself to, and became obedient even to death on a cross. Right? In very nature God, but, but nonetheless, though he was rich, he made himself poor why? So that we could become rich. Let's, let's look at how it describes that here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty 
you might become rich. And this was not lost on the Philippians. In their severe trial and in the midst of their suffering and their persecution, they realized this was the kind of gift given to them. And that gift changed everything in their lives. And the only appropriate response on their part would be what? Reciprocity. To give likewise. That though they had become rich in whatever way, they likewise became poor. Even in the midst of severe suffering, it welled up in a rich generosity to be able to continue to uh, help others as well. Uh, and Paul is talking to the Corinthians, basically saying to the Corinthians, all right, not that I'm trying to like, you know, you kind of shame you here or anything, but let me just share with you by example what some other churches do when they've been affected by the grace of God. When they get the beauty of the grace of God, that Jesus, rich, God himself, sitting on the throne of God, Jesus made himself nothing and plunged himself into a life of poverty for you so that you might become rich. And then look what the Macedonians did. They, they turned right around and, and modeled the example of Jesus. And to the Corinthians, he's saying that. Now for us, uh, you know, we, we don't always know what all the needs are, right? I mean, it's, it, I think sometimes it's very easy. We don't talk about it a lot. We just kind of have to keep on keeping on. Obviously, we're planting a new region, and we're planting a new region without ministry staff. Uh, yes, Jeff and Kelly are going to oversee the, the service itself, but they're not actually, I mean, they're going to stay in the teen ministry. They're not going to be studying the Bible with everyone that the marrieds meet and everyone that the singles meet. They're not going to be discipling. They're not going to be trying to raise up the leaders amongst all of those ranks. That's what a, a, a ministry staff would normally do down there. We don't have that. And here's why. Because our contribution doesn't allow for that. But we still have to go. We still have to keep spreading the gospel. Even if we, we that's why we're trying to get creative. And that's why Jeff and Kelly are stretching themselves. And that's why you know, the Hutchins and the Hearsts and the Thrones and... and, and Older thrones as well are all kind of rearranging, stretching themselves um, all for the cause here. But in case people want to know, we do have like really great needs that would be fantastic that if we could start to meet those needs. And, 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 and when I look at other churches, we kind of use models of what's a healthy ratio of a minister to the, the amount of people that are in their ministry. And, uh, you know, right now we're, we're at a point where our, our ratio is kind of closer to 100. Most churches are closer to the 60 range. Also, uh, our, our church averages uh, just about $30 per person in, in uh, giving back to God per, per week. Uh, and that's per person. But all of the other churches in the ACR, we're the bottom. I mean, as great as we are in everything else, right? In this area, we're actually Mississippi. We're Arkansas. Right? Excuse me if you're from those states, but you know how. When you see those rankings. Right? <laughs> but but that we are. We're, we're, we are the Arkansas of the ACR in, in, in this particular area. Uh, I mean, other churches give, give well beyond 40, even to 50. Um, but, but as a result, they don't then, you know, suddenly like, I don't know, 
uh, you know, kind of use it in a profligate way or, or a wasteful way, what do they do? They just extend the amount of ministry staff so that we can keep spreading the gospel to more and more people as much as possible. It's not like it's a magic. I mean, yes, we could hire someone that's not effective, but let's pray that, that if, you know, with, with the, the funding that we would hire people that are effective and that the gospel would continue to spread. So far, that's been the case. And I trust that we honor God by giving back to him in this way to see more and more people know the gospel, that that would happen. But, but right now, it would be terrific if we had a, a couple that would then be able to take on all of the kind of the, the, the charge uh, for, for South Beach. It would also be great, as, as we've had at other times, at least one intern to work with campus on the peninsula. Uh, right, right now, we, we don't. We just have uh, the, the Fisks, and, and they're trying to take care of everything here and then jump up there as, as much as possible. But that's like a, a really great need. And when we've had it, by the way, in the past, the ministry up there has, has been two, three times uh, more people and, and also flourishing and raising up more leaders that end up going out into the, into the ministry field as well. Uh, the other thing that we need is um, we need... A, um, a single man or woman or both that can work with our singles ministry and get onto the basis. And that's what we're praying for. Someone who has, you know, the kind of the, the credentials to still get on the bases and just, it's, it's our biggest employer in the entire area. Uh, and the singles are as much a demographic as any other demographic in all of this area. But, but yet we're, we're not really getting there. As a matter of fact, of all the cities in the United States, the two cities that have the most amount of multi-person housing are Austin, Te- uh, as a percentage of all housing, are Austin, Texas, and Norfolk, Virginia. Why Austin, Texas? University of Texas in a relatively small town. Why Norfolk, Virginia? The naval base. Right. It's because of, of all the barracks, all that. But we're, we're not there. We would love to be there. And if we had the funding, I think we could kind of really find someone that has the credentials to be on base, to, to really generate all those Bible studies that, that we can get, get into. And, and then uh, finally, as, as Jeff and Kelly kind of keep seeing the teen ministry grow, I think the one thing that they would love to see is on the peninsula, we've got help now with interns with the teens. But, but also then, as Jeff and Kelly take care of South Beach and Coastal, to have someone be able to in Tidewater uh, one or two interns as well. But if, if we're to pull all of that off, all of that off, uh, that's, that's a lot of salaries, but it, it would only be probably, only, but, but it was with, with benefits, with everything, $250,000 to hire all of those people and to have them dedicated just to the work of the ministry. But if that were to happen, 250000 then it would mean, and it wouldn't even put us like, you know, over the top as the number one giving church in, in the ACR. Uh, it would it would just simply kind of put us right right there with all of the other churches, for 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 the most part. But but I think for the most part, what it does mean is that we need to look at: Am I ready to to really sacrifice to the degree that it does rearrange my life a little bit, so that I like the Philippian church as the grace that's been given to me. I'm ready to give back so that others can know what what it is that I've come to know. Uh, and I I think. Honestly, we've been, I think, just negligent in terms of preaching it from the pulpit and, and talking about it in, in our discipleship times. We, we are finishing with, with this lesson tonight, the treasure principle, but we can't just kind of finish it with, without us, I think, really addressing the way that New Testament giving worked. Uh, and that New, New Testament giving was radical generosity. It wasn't the idea of, okay, my guilt is assuaged by paying the tax of the tithe. 
Uh, that, that wasn't even close to what you see in the pages of the New Testament. It was whatever the need is, I'm rearranging whatever I got to do in my life to be able to get after it and to see, make sure that as many as possible get to know and hear the Word of God. And so I, I do think that on kind of, let's say, the upper end of the, of the incomes in our church, that we probably have a lot of us that I bet if we looked really, really well at just even rearranging some basic things in life, that we could do so much more to be able to kind of help us to get to the place where we need to get to. I think a lot of us, and I, I've talked to a lot of the mature guys here, and that we've gotten into this mode of, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna sure, to make sure I take care of my tithe. I think a lot of us can take care of our tithe, and it doesn't actually change the way that we live our lives. And, and it's worth, a, I think, a, a much deeper look and, and to really see how, how is it that we can actually see maybe some of the things that we have just taken on as entitlements not necessarily have to be that so much. So that it's, it's, it's not for, I don't know, so we put, you know, have a bigger building. We don't have like ostentatious stuff. We don't waste any of our money. We don't have big salaries in, in, in the staff. Uh, Deb and I each took about an 80%. I took a 70%. She took an 80% pay cut. To, to go into the ministry. Nobody's going into it for anything other than let's use whatever resources we have to go tell people about Jesus. But we can do it all the more if we're not Arkansas. Right? I mean, let's just, I mean, I'm not saying we could be like New Jersey, but, you know, maybe, like, I don't know, Illinois maybe. You know, it's basic there. Uh, let me, let, let me read on. Um, verse 10. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were not only the, the first to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And, and the reason I bring that up is we don't want there to be inequality. We don't want to just say, and not that we're even saying this. We're not putting a dollar amount on anything. We're not saying, hey, if everybody can, you know, bump it by, by 15 a week, you know, then maybe we'll be, then that's what it would be. But we'd be in the ballpark of, of most of the other churches. But to say bump it 15 a week to Lydia uh, and say to, you know, bump it to 15 a week to a Princeton graduate who is texting me right now. Uh, I mean, it, he's not. <laughs> Right? It's a big difference. I mean, it's a, it's a, you, don't, you can't just do that. I think that's why we have to really have each of us to, to recognize, you know what, in, in my case, I, I think I've really got to look for ways that I can rearrange stuff and, and let radical generosity mark my walk in, in Christ. And then we've had more than enough people, all of, all of the secularly employed people that have come up here, more than enough say, by the way, not that we believe in a prosperity gospel, but interestingly, when I decided to be more generous, it is interesting that God allowed more of his resources to come my way. I don't think, by the way, in, in a prosperity gospel person would say, oh, let's see, you sow the seed, you get it back. I mean, I, I mean that, that's a gospel from hell. It, it really is. I love the way Rodolfo put that. I think it was last week. Uh, but you know what it is? I, I think the treasure principle does a good job of this, is that God realizes that, you know what? The person that's going to get my resources to the right people for the greatest good, for the greatest purposes, is you. You've already proven yourself generous. So, of course, it's going to be uh, you know, an easy choice for, for, for those things to come, come your way. Now, the church in Philippi, it's not like they really even fit that mold. They were just beat down. They were beat down with persecution. They were beat down with poverty and with famine is, is what comes their way as well. 
But that never stopped them even with, with the generosity that they had. Why? Not because they were so self-willed, but because they understood. Jesus, though being equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing for them. He humbled himself as debasing and as embarrassing as that term is. And he made himself the worst curse that they could ever imagine. A debased, humbled slave who is naked and dying on a tree. He did all that for them. And even though Adam, when, when he was called to obey the tree, obey you know, the command of the tree, he disobeyed. But Jesus, when he was given the command of the tree, he obeyed. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And that those Philippians understood that even though Adam disobeyed regarding the tree, and now Jesus obeyed regarding the tree, now they get to obey regarding the tree. And now the command to them is don't eat of the tree of life. Now the command is for them to eat of that tree. Eat of that tree of the cross, that strange fruit, the body, the blood. It is now our reminder, week after week, as we, as we take of the, of the tree, of the fruit of that tree, the ultimate fruit of that tree, the redemption, the ransom, the body, the blood, as they were reminded week after week, I'm sure it was quite easy for them, as Paul says, on the first day of the week when you do this, also set aside, uh, so that I don't have to take up a collection later, set it aside on that first day of the week. It's part of our worship. It's part of our recognition. Oh my goodness, I get to eat of the tree. I get to have the body and the blood. I am the beneficiary of all beneficiaries. My goodness, grace does not end here as a dead end with me, but grace is going to spread out in an abundant way to help so many more others to likewise have this realization of this relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we, as we break to our groups, I, I uh, encourage you to spend, spend the time. It's, it's our last Tuesday before school starts. Um, go, go ahead and take the time all the way. I think, what's that? Oh. Yeah, anyway, uh, but, but, but take the time to really sit down and, and, and make plans of how it is that you're really going to look at how do I rearrange so that this grace is expressed through my life and through our family and through what it is that God has given to us so that we can take care of some of these needs and see the church all the more glorious and all the more effective. Amen. Thank you.